0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you may help us to understand from your word how we should live as your people, the Church. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now what should the Church look like? How should it behave as God's people? What sort of norms and behaviors should be the marks of the church? Now, I don't think that many Christians actually think about these questions. We sort of assume the way it's supposed to be, because, you know, when I came to church, it was like this, so that's the way it must be. But today, I think we are forced in looking at today's passage to address the issue of what is the church and how should it behave and what are the norms and behaviors of God's people. And it shouldn't come down to what we think, you know, it's not like we have a a vote to decide what we should behave or what we should do or what are the norms of the church, but rather because it is God's church, we need to listen to what God says as to how we should behave as His people. So over the last two weeks, we've seen that the apostles have begun to fulfill uh, Jesus' command to them. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had said uh, to the disciples, which is up here, right, he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we saw in Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John did exactly that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they had done a great miracle, they had healed a man who had been crippled Lame from birth, he hadn't walked for 40 years and then suddenly he was walking and he was jumping around. He began to witness, they began to witness to Jesus Christ and they proclaimed that Jesus rose from the dead. In Jesus there was resurrection of men and women and salvation was found in no other name. But as a result there was opposition, persecution and the call to silence. But God's people, the church, went to God and prayed, and Acts chapter 4, verse 31, which is the verse just before the passage we're looking at today, sums up what happened after they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, as we look at today's passage in verse 32, we may be mistaken to think that, okay, you know, we've gone on to another section here. This is completely separate from what happens in verse 31 and everything that happened with the healing of the man. But actually, I, I think we are, would be wrong to think that because I think that the NIV doesn't actually do us many favors because it actually leaves up an end. Uh, 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 and. right? So if you look at the NASB, which is up here on the slide, you'll see that before, between verse 31 and verse 32, there's actually an and between what happens in the first section and connects it with the second section. So what we should actually read here is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word of God boldly, and all the believers, as you see in NIV, were one of heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Now this is very important because it shows us that to be shaped by the Holy Spirit It's not just about preaching rightly. That's not just one of the marks of the church, but rather, as we see here, another mark of the Holy Spirit in the church was that people were willing to share. They were one in heart and mind, and that oneness was reflected in the sharing of their possessions. Now two times in the first four chapters, we're told that that is the mark of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. In today's passage, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything as they had. Now, this phrase, everything in common, it's actually repeated in its original language. And it's actually telling us that the original church, God's people, when it was first constituted, was characterized by everything being in common, people sharing generously. Now the Bible God's word is not telling us that we should all become communists. That somehow there should be this top-down dictatorship telling us that we should all put our private property and our cars and our bank accounts in some sort of trust which is run by the church leadership. But rather it's actually saying that the Holy Spirit leads people in this church to think of their possessions not as private property, but as sharing common property which belongs to one another. Now in case that we think that this is just a phenomena that we see in the book of Acts which disappears over time like, say, speaking in tongues or healing or something like that. Notice what Jesus says to Peter in Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, verse 28, Peter said to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or feels for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now notice that. Interesting, isn't it? That Jesus actually says in this present age, people who have left everything to follow Jesus will not fail to receive hundreds of mothers, brothers, sisters, and fields and possessions. And Jesus is actually saying that what we see here in Acts chapter 2 and 4 is being fulfilled. That as you become a Christian, you belong to a greater, bigger family and you share these relationships, but not just relationships, but also possessions which belong to one another. Now, I was reading a, a while ago about how in a persecuted country, there was a man who was kicked out of his family after he became a Christian, after he accepted Christ. But it was very common practice in the church in this country where people would be kicked out of their homes after they believed in Jesus Christ. And what would happen would be that the families of the church would actually accept this person that was kicked out of their family into their own household and treat them as their own child and look after them and feed them and care for them. And that's exactly what we read about here in this passage and in the promises of Jesus that as people were sacrificing their own families and their own possessions, they would gain a bigger family and bigger possessions because they were now part of the church of God. Now as we hear of these sort of stories, as we read Mark, as we read Acts chapter 2 and 4, the question for us is, do we share our possessions in the same way? Do we see ourselves in the same way? Willing to see our property as property in common to share with one another, or do we see as private property for our own enjoyment? In verse 33, the passage goes on to say, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were No needy persons among them. Now here again, the point that was made in the previous verse is repeated. Where the character of the church was not of just right preaching, right doctrine, the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but in terms of also right living. Where God's grace was manifested among the church because people were willing to share with needy people. Now I remember going once to a a church, and I think I shared this illustration with you before, about how we went to this church, it was a very big auditorium, and the pastor said, you know, I can feel the Holy Spirit among us, and the Holy Spirit is telling me that He wants all of you to have a new car and a new house. Stand up to receive your new car and your new house. So I stood up. No, I didn't stand up. No, I stayed seated. But the theology that the pastor was preaching was that God's grace was manifested in each individual person in that church getting richer and richer and richer and wealthier and wealthier and wealthier and more and more successful. But as we look at today's passage, God's grace is not manifested because I became richer and richer. But God's grace is manifested because I'm sharing more and more generously. Because each of us in the church is sharing more and more generously. That's how God's grace is manifested. Not because individually each of us are increasing our GDP. But because individually each of us are actually being moved by the Holy Spirit to share more willingly. So, when we uh, get couples to do our marriage preparation class, one of the questions, and you can ask some of the married couples here, which we do ask people is Are you willing to open up your home for Bible study and fellowship? Now, you might sort of think about it and think, Well, actually, this has got nothing to do with marriage preparation. But the question is relevant because it is a mark in terms of. A Christian understanding, a Christian maturity, for the couple in terms of their understanding of how to use their possessions. Now it's very sad for me because not within the marriage preparation class, but I have spoken to Christians who have said to me in the past that they are not willing to open up their house for people, and they'll say things like, "Oh, you know, it's because I just got my house renovated. I don't want to wear out my sofa." I don't want to get my carpet dirty and I don't like having strangers in the house. This is what people say to me, right? I'm not making these things up. But that's so sad because that shows a complete misunderstanding of what we are as Christians and who we are as a church. Because here as we look in this passage as people who belong in one body, one heart and one mind, then we should be opening up Our homes is part of our possessions to share with other Christians. Because that is what God's grace is meant to be doing when it works within us. Especially as it says here when it comes to people in need. So in verse 34 onwards it says, From time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now when we think of helping poor people, I don't know about you, but to me, I always just think of buying tissue paper from the people outside the MRT or you know, when they come and sell it to me when I'm eating at the hawker center, right? I mean, I sort of feel I've done my duty, I've bought my dollar's worth of tissue paper. But look at what this passage is saying. The, the amounts of money that was being given and the possessions being shared in common to help the poor and needy was not small change. It's not one dollar, two dollars to buy tissue paper, but lands and houses were being sold to help the needy. Now when you think about it, who gives this sort of money today? Uh, Who gives this sort of money to help the needy in the church? I mean, the only time that people give these sorts of monies, maybe in modern fundraising in churches, is for building properties. And I think it's quite sad because I've actually spoken to people who come from really big churches, really rich churches, much richer churches than we are. And these people are genuinely needy people who belong to these churches, but their churches are not helping them in terms of their times of need. And I think that's very sad because these are much, much richer churches than we are with much, much more financial resources, but needy people are not being helped. Now, someone once asked me about whether we should give 10% of our income to church. You know, what about the 10% tithing rule? Because there are churches who actually say that if you don't give your 10%, you're cheating God. And they really mean that. But as we've been doing for our Bible studies, for our Bible overview, uh, God's people at a specific time, when they were in God's place in Israel, where there was a temple, and there were Levites, and there were priests, were called to give 10% as a form of like religious tax. So the 10% sort of went to the state, which went to pay for the upkeep of the temple, the, the priestly system, and the religious structure. So the 10% doesn't really apply to us today in Singapore because we don't have a big temple, we don't have the Levites, and we don't have the sacrificial system. But yet, you still hear of some churches which demand from its members 10% for everything they receive. And I think this is exploitation. So you hear of students who have to give 10% of the money which are given for allowances for food, I know of people who have to take second jobs in order to give money to their church. I've heard of churches which tell people where if you take a loan from the bank for a housing loan, you also have to give 10% for that. But that's wrong, isn't it? Because the principle is not 10%, but the principle is generous sharing of possessions. So the people who gave their houses and their lands, as we read in this passage, obviously gave more than 10%. Because God had blessed them with more, and were evidently wealthy and more well-off, they gave more than 10%. But for the people who were needy and unable, they didn't give 10%. They couldn't afford it. They received the generosity of these other people. So I think the principle that we see here is that for those who have been blessed with much, then God actually says, be generous, share generously. Share your possessions with those who are needy. But for those of you who are needy, if you can give, give. But if you cannot, then the rule shouldn't be 10% or else you're cheating God. You know, it is a sense in which you can be helped by other people and you shouldn't feel bad by being helped from other people. Now, verse 36 onwards, we see a case study of a real person who shared in this way. So verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we have a a real person. His name was Joseph. Joseph uh, was a Levite, and he was from Cyprus. But he had a reputation, a reputation for being an encouraging person, an encourager. Uh, Literally, the word Barnabas means son of encouragement, right? He was was an encouraging person. And he sold the field. Took the money, gave it to the disciples, sorry, the apostles, the apostles distributed it to the poor. Now, side by side with Joseph called Barnabas was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They also sold the property, they also took the money, they also gave it to the apostles who then distributed it to the poor. But there was one important difference between Joseph and Ananias and Sapphira. If you read here in verse 2, right? Oh, maybe it's not up there, sorry. If you look at the passage in verse 2, it says that they kept back part of the money for themselves. Now this uh, word, kept back, is a very important word, and you'll see that later as we keep going through the sermon. It literally means to steal, or to misappropriate, or to embezzle now why did they steal? Why did they uh, misappropriate? Why did they embezzle? What exactly was happening here? Well, in verse 3, uh, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before a soul? And after a was soul wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now, as we read here, it shows us this wasn't communism. Okay? It wasn't the forced uh, idea where everybody had to give up private property or there would be no private property among church people. Like Peter said, the land belonged to Ananias and Sapphira before a soul. After a soul, the money was at their disposal. It was still their private property to deal with. The problem was that they lied. Lying was the charge. Lying was the crime. Lying was the sin. If you look at verse 8, it's the same thing, isn't it? In verse 8, Peter asked Anani- sorry, Sapphira, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. So the sin here... Is one of lying. You see, what is the big deal? Why didn't they just say, okay, uh, we sold the land, but we only want to give to the church half, or quarter, or a fifth, or a tenth? But no. What they had done was they had lied, and they said that they had given all the money that they had received for the land. See, they wanted to be like Mr. and Mrs. Barnabas. right? They wanted to have the reputation of being very generous people, Selling the land, giving everything they had. But in secret, they actually wanted to keep the money for themselves. So I think that actually if you boil it all down, if you look at the next slide, fundamentally it was a sin of lying, but the motivation was of greed and of false reputation. But the problem was that they were not just lying to the church or to Peter or to the apostles. As it says here, in verse 3 to 4, they were sinning and lying against the Holy Spirit and against God the Father Himself. Their motivations were not from the Holy Spirit, they were not Holy Spirit led, but rather they were filled by Satan. And as a result, Ananias and Sapphira Both died on the same day, three hours, one after another. Now if that were to happen today in our church, how would we feel? Imagine there were a couple that we knew at church would attend church regularly with us, and we've known them for a very long time, and this very thing happened at our church, and they died because of what had happened, because they lied about giving their possessions. Well, maybe you will be tempted not to come to church anymore, right? Now, many years ago, I was at a charity golf event. And uh, you know these charity golf events, basically what you do is uh, you buy a flight of four people playing golf and you pay quite a lot of money for the privilege of that flight. So, you know, it can be range from $500, $1,000 to $10,000 for just this flight of four people playing golf. And you have some very, very rich people who are, you know, willing to give and make donations and buy flights, but they don't want to play golf, or they don't feel like playing golf that day, or they're busy. So what they do is they get other people to play on their behalf. So anyway, I had this person that I knew who basically was invited by a very rich man who bought a flight to take over the flight. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to go and play together with two other people. So we finished playing. After the game, we're having drinks, and two of the other friends asked, the friend who organized the whole thing, and said, did you actually give the money to the donation to to buy this flight of golf? And uh, to my great surprise, my the person I knew said, uh, why? Don't you think that I'm generous enough or rich enough to, to 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 buy this flight? And this went on for about five to ten minutes, and I was like kind of surprised that this conversation was happening because I knew that this person actually had been given this flight for free. But, by the very end of the 5-10 minutes, this person wasn't budging. He was giving the impression to these other two people that he was a very generous person. He had given this money and he had paid for this flight of golf. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because this person is still alive today. And, I'm sure that if, you, if I brought up this, uh, this event with my person I knew, they would have completely forgotten about what had happened. Because this happens all the time. People are always claiming credit for things that they didn't do. People are always giving false impressions, people are always lying. So why do we see that Ananias and Sapphira died for this? Why weren't they just excommunicated, asked to leave the church? What is the point of this? Well, I think in verse 9, Peter says that actually one of the problems of doing this within a church setting was that Ananias and Sapphira were actually conspiring to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord. That's what it says there in verse 9. How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? And I think that lying within the context of church and within Christians, within the motivations of greed and false impressions, is a very serious thing because fundamentally you're not lying just to individuals and other human beings, but you're lying to God and testing the Holy Spirit. And as we did for our responsive reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God doesn't like to be tested. So if you look up here in Deuteronomy 6, God's people, when they first entered into the promised land, were told very clearly right, that if they test God and broke His commandments, God's anger will burn against them and He would destroy them. Now even though we are in the New Testament age, post the cross, testing God is never a wise thing to do because we are at risk. Of God's anger burning against us and the threat of destruction. And that's exactly what we see here. And then I and Sapphira tested God and they were destroyed. But I think that fundamentally the sins that we see at play here, lying, greed, false reputation, seem to be something very particular that we are warned against. If you look at verse 11, uh, okay, turn turning me to verse 11 in chapter 5, it says, Great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, this is the very first time that this word, the church, or the assembly of the people of God is actually used in the New Testament in, in terms of the story of the church. So you don't see this word church in the Gospels, and this is the first time you see the word church in the book of Acts. Now, the very first people who actually are named God's people are plagued with this problem of lying and greed and false reputation. The very first people in the Old Testament who go into the promised land have exactly the same problem. So if you look at this map, okay, so uh, after wandering around the desert for 40 years, the first place that they go to is Jericho, and I'm sure that the, the kids who have been to Sunday school, you know the walls of Jericho, well, that's the first place they went to. God told His people before they went into the city that the one thing that they must not do is to keep the items of gold, silver, and bronze, but rather they are to be given to God. Alright, so it says here, the next slide, in Joshua chapter 6, as they enter into Jericho, keep away from the devoted things, in verse 18, so you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. But, God's people, as they entered the city, what did they do? In verse chapter 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, and so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now you see this word up there? The word there, took. In the LXX, which is the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek, is literally the same word, kept back, that we see in the book of Acts. Just as Ananias and Sapphira kept back some of the money, so here Achan kept back some of the things that he had. And as a result, God said to Joshua, Israel have sinned, they have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things, they have stolen, they have lied they have put them with their own possessions. See, all the same things are at play here. In the early church, in the first place that Israel come to, there is something being kept back, something stolen, there is lying. And I think this is something that we need to really learn from. As we see in chapter 4 verse 11, as we hear of what's happening, great fear should fill us. Great fear so that we do not lie to one another, We're not motivated by greed against one another and of making false reputation with one another. Because in both those cases, in the first church in Acts, the first people in Joshua, God killed in judgment and in anger the people who did it. No, we shouldn't be doing that as God's people because we'll be sinning against God and the Holy Spirit. But instead... We are called to be generous with our possessions. So in conclusion, I used to be a pastor looking after a lot of boys' brigade and girls' brigade churches in Woodlands. And uh, a lot of the boys who grew up in the boys' and girls' brigade who became Christians, they actually kept staying in Woodlands. One thing that really impressed me about them was how open they were with sharing with one another their cars. You know, I will be like seeing... Different people driving the same car. And I'll be like, how come we got this car? Oh, you know, my friend, this guy lent it to me, this guy. I was really struck by this. How they were so open and lending each other cars. You know, people go on holiday, they'll be lending the cars to someone else. You know, somebody was away, they'll be lending. Somebody needs the car, they'll be lending it. Because for many people, the car is like their prized Possession. I mean, it is quite rare for people to lend their cars to other people for a day, let alone a week or two weeks. You know, what happens if people have accidents or, you know, their kids spill stuff on it? Uh, What happens if they scratch it in the car park or go over the car hump too fast? But yet, I was really encouraged when I saw all these Christian brothers and sisters who came up together through the girls' brigade and boys' brigade, sharing their cars so freely with one another. And I think that is actually what we are to do, isn't it? Because our cars are not our own private property, so to speak, but they are property in common to be shared with one another, especially for those who are needy in church. But not just cars, but I mean other things. Because we are stewards of God's property, they are not ours to just enjoy for ourselves. But because we are one body, one family, one mind, one heart, then that oneness should be reflected in the way that we are open in sharing our possessions with one another, especially the needy. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Fathers, we come before you today. We pray that we may be truly transformed by the reading of your word and through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Because as we have seen, the Holy Spirit working in your church wasn't just about right preaching or preaching boldly, but also about their attitude to their possessions. That they were very willing to have everything in common, to share with one another generously, especially those in need. Dear Father, we pray that we too may be transformed in our thinking To not see our possessions as private, to be enjoyed just solely by ourselves, but to see that as one big family in Christ, we should be open to sharing these possessions with one another, that we should reflect that oneness in the way that we regard these things. And especially when it comes to those who are needy, we pray that we too may be even more generous in helping them because truly they are part of our family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.